Hello and welcome to the Recovering God podcast. This is a platform to explore issues that affect the faith lives of Christian women. We hope you find this podcast helpful. Hello, Recovering God listeners. It's great to be back with you today. Um, It's a very warm day here in what is October. So it's very strange. Um, It's Sarah P today and I'm joined with Vicky. Say hello, Vicky. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Um, And we're really excited to be joined by Katie Cross today. Um, Katie describes herself as an approachable academic theologian. Her work is intentionally feminist and intersectional as she is seeking to challenge and unlearn the systematic biases and privileges afforded to white people in the theological space. She's published her extensive research on the Sunday Assembly and is the co-editor, along with Karen O'Donnell, who's a previous Recovering Our Guest, of two volumes focusing on trauma theologies. She lives in Aberdeen and has a sausage dog called Merlin, who she is always happy to chat about. Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big, uh, a long time listener, first time caller <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> and yes, uh, my dog is is most of my personality. So yeah, absolutely. Always happy to talk about the dog. Well, we might come to that later, maybe. Um, <laughs> please, could you tell us a bit about how your understanding of God has developed over time? Do you know what? This is such a good question, but it's such a huge question. And I've been thinking about what I was going to say for this, and it hasn't quite come to me yet, but I'll try and say a few things. Um, I've always believed in God. Um, I probably, like a lot of people, got more involved in church stuff when I was a teenager, um, to tell the truth. Um, A strange thing about me in this day and age is I haven't had to do a whole lot of deconstruction because I went to a church that was pretty inclusive um, it was quite kind of social justice oriented. So I've honestly not had to do a whole lot of um, deconstructing of that. Um, I suppose protest activism was a big part of that in the early days. Um, so I always kind of saw God as being uh, on the side of the oppressed, um, you know, like the cartoon Um, Prince of Egypt that kind of thing that was just my idea of God in my head Um, and then when I went to uni and I accidentally started studying theology um, I just got really confused by it all and I started to think that oh my ideas of God are just too basic right they're just a bit too (laughs) straightforward so I did have quite a lot of anxiety around that Um, I think just because people theologians especially like to really complicate ideas about god so yeah i can see you both nodding um so that was kind of a bit of an issue and then i suppose in the last few years i've kind of come back to that more simple version of god that i had in the beginning and part of that is uh sarah mentioned this just um at the start i did quite a lot of work with atheists um agnostics and nuns as part of my phd um and that was really helpful because when you're around people who don't believe in god (laughs) what you believe in god you kind of have to simplify what you're going to say um so that was really helpful for helping me to kind of think through that so um i am a christian still but i'm not currently a church attender and which we can talk about at some point um and i just feel like i have a bit more freedom to explore now which is really nice thanks katie 
Um, we'd love to hear a bit more about your experience of working in the academic world. Um, we wondered if you could talk a bit about how or some of the challenges that you face being a woman in that space and some of the advantages as well, and maybe a bit about how you've ended up where you are. Honestly, I could I could talk about this all day because it's such a big it's such a big issue, isn't it? Women women in academia is difficult. Um I should probably start by prefacing this. Um, you can't see me, but you can uh, look me up uh, and find out about me. Um, so I'm a cisgendered white woman. And as you've said, I do have a job in academia. So those are all really big points of privilege, I think, to start with. Um, it's so hard to get a job in academia right now. It's just impossible. So there's a lot of stuff I can't really speak to. Like There are going to be other experiences that women have had um that are going to intersect with things like race um I was listening this morning to Selena Stone's um previous episode on that I think she does a great job of explaining that there's going to be stuff about disability gender identity that I can't really speak to but I would just say it's a really difficult system to navigate especially if you don't really know anybody in the system right it's like you you, if you show up to a party you know nobody (laughs) which is kind of what I felt like coming into academia. Um, And at its best, you make really good connections with people. So um, Sarah and I met earlier this year at a conference um, for the first time in person. And you can build up networks. I've met some of my best friends doing this sort of work. Um, At the same time, it feels a bit soul-destroying sometimes. Um, The kind of story that I tell is, I'm the first woman to teach for Christ College in Aberdeen, which is our uh, ministry training college. And when I was told that the first time, a lot of people said to me, isn't that brilliant? (laughs) Isn't that great? And I thought, really? It's, it it was 2018 at the time. And I just thought, that's wild. It's 2018. We've never had a woman um, in this position. So I suppose lack of role models who are women is a big issue. Yeah. Um, I think at times there's a really gendered style of academic engagement that goes on. So, um, things like students will respond better if they think the lecture is difficult, right? So if a man gives a lecture that they think is really difficult, then maybe respond better to it. If you break it down and give them something that makes sense or is about, um, lived experience, which is what I do in my work, they maybe think of it as a little bit softer. Um, wow. Yeah. So there's that to deal with. I'm sure a lot of women in other jobs have similar kinds of issues, um, but other things like a lot of emotional labour, um, and I'm sure women in the church get this too, a lot of emotional labour, um, looking after students, looking after people in a kind of pastoral capacity, um yeah all that kind of stuff is really really difficult I don't have kids but I know that it's really hard to have children and things like child care or um, family care I suppose also the issue we have in theology which is a little bit of a unique flavor (laughs) if I can say that um is that uh we're sort of based in and around the church or we have been historically And so everything that's happening in the church has been happening in academic spaces and theology. So we're really behind other disciplines. We're really behind other subjects. 
um, I speak to people in different parts because I'm at quite a big university. I speak to people in different um, parts of the uni and they'll say, oh, my department's full of women. What are you talking about? (laughs) You're so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) It's so nice. Um, Yeah, I mean, I could go on about this for forever and ever. I think one, one more thing to say would be like what I hear the most from other women um, in academia is this idea of imposter syndrome, right? So like, I don't deserve to be here or, you know, I've just um, shown up here and it's random and who on earth has let me have a PhD? Uh, I've definitely thought that before. Um, That idea of like not feeling like you belong, kind of being uncomfortable when you achieve something, you don't want Mm. to show it off. Um, I also have this worry uh, that people are going to find out how little I know about things <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Which isn't true. So, right. It's like, I, I imagine that they're all just going to come for me and say, actually, why did you write that book? That's, you can't have that anymore. Or, mm-hmm. you know, why do you have a PhD, etc. Um, one of the things I've learned recently, though, uh, which again, has come from quite a lot of reading around like womanist theology and um, black theology uh, and also about imposter syndrome is that it was actually just a really like white woman thing. It's been a kind of device um, to sort of, you know, keep people down. And it really excludes a lot of systemic issues that are not um about white women right so it's really just yeah this is what I'm finding out um and it takes this kind of feeling of discomfort that we all have right we all second guess ourselves and we all feel a bit anxious in the workplace and then it turns it into something that's just for women um you know only women can really um deal with this and the issue there is like it puts the blame on individuals so I think for years I I mean I thought it's all my fault you know, <laughs> I should be feeling better about this. I'm sure other people have, have had that too. And I, I think it probably um, pushes us towards saying it's an individual issue. It's not the system. It's mm-hmm. not the wider kind of problem, right? Um, and I feel like the answer to that is that we don't have to fix ourselves as women in academia, in the church, in society. Um we probably need to just have an environment that's more inclusive. Yeah. Right? So yeah, that was a big thing. And um, when I when I figured that out, I was like, right, okay. <laughs> and I think also, like my experience of the conference that we met at was that there mm. just isn't that sense of self questioning in any of the guys, or not evidently anyway. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot more general. I guess baseline confidence that their their research is good, that their presentation is going to be well received, that and that there just isn't that sense of like, oh my mm. gosh, what if nobody likes me? What if they don't? What if it doesn't make sense? And you know, which I go to very quickly and really have to like self talk myself out of it. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting to think of it as a systemic problem rather than an individual yeah. one. Absolutely. And I think we ex- we both experienced um, a really lovely moment at the conference where a kind of younger scholar had mm. given a paper for the first time and um, absolutely just blew us out of the water. Yeah. And she was brilliant. But what was so brilliant about her was the confidence that she had in herself yeah. and the ability to say, here I am, I'm presenting my work. And I just thought that is, that's amazing. And I yeah. love that that was a good space for her to do yeah. that. And I think that's so um yeah, it's really it's really good to see that. 
Yeah. And she got a standing ovation, didn't she? It was like, it was beautiful. She did. Oh my goodness. There were tears afterwards. Yeah. And hugs. It was just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you think yeah. of academic conferences, you don't think of people like high-fiving and hugging afterwards, do you? Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> and, and it was utterly different, wasn't it? And that's what made mm. it amazing. So yeah, imposter syndrome is maybe not people's fault. Um, maybe it's something wider. Maybe it's something that we can all be thinking about changing rather than having to just change individuals, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's seen as a as a female problem even by men, I would say. Because they just, mm-hmm. I I imagine, they, from my experience, they just don't experience that at all. Like, some of the questions that I come up with, my friend will be like, why are you even thinking that? Like, I would never, ever think that. <laughs> like, why do you not have confidence in that situation? Like, it just yeah. wouldn't, it doesn't even register with them that they they might even have a slight issue. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it's partly because we're told not to have too much confidence as women. Because yeah. if, we, uh, if we have too much, then that looks big-headed. If we don't have enough, then that looks weak. Mm. Um, <laughs> if we come in all guns blazing and say this is really important you have to listen to me people just go oh for goodness sake but it's so difficult isn't it and um yeah it's hard to know like where to pitch yourself so I think that's one thing that's been difficult in academia if you've um, experienced bullying or you've had a really rough time dealing with like students or people that you work with or anything like that it's going to be harder for you to put yourself forward for things yeah I would say it was probably the same in the church as well Mm-hmm. in terms of we don't know how to pitch ourselves right <laughs> exactly that because if we go in too strong then people are like oh you're trying to take over and all that nonsense Jezebelic spirit and all that right exactly oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah that's it and it's exactly as I say um people seem to think there's a kind of separation happening between what's in the church and what theologians do and I'm not convinced there always is I think a lot of these issues um kind of move from one space to the other as we do yeah that's really helpful thank you um can you tell us a bit about the Sophia network at Aberdeen what is the ethos behind it oh yes definitely this is much more um happy and hopeful conversation (laughs) to have um so Sophia network I've been responsible for it as a a co-convener for several years now um and basically we're we're trying to give women in theology and minorities in theology a kind of safe space we talk about gender we're trying to tackle bias and the kind of real um important part of that is we do it in community together so really supportive community um we chose the name sophia it comes from greek for wisdom um so sophia is often represented as a feminine figure um and we chose that to kind of represent the collective wisdom that's shared when women come together to share their ideas experiences you you both know a lot about that that's what you do on this podcast it's <laughs> very very similar um so in the beginning it was a lot of helping women with academic work and um, sort of giving them opportunities that maybe men had more access to um just because that's the way the system works um it used to be that we kind of spoke a lot about the negatives of being a woman in academia, which I'm not going to lie, we still do. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's, still, <laughs> there's still a lot of space for that. Um, but it is a really hopeful space. And 
we had a we had an event just a few days ago and it, I was watching my PhD students interacting with some of my undergraduate students and just thinking like it's so nice to see them all together and to see that link right between the kind of early years and the later years of study which women really do drop off um in study of theology so like after undergrad after a master's most women disappear um it's really that's the time that we um that I think the technical word is retention <laughs> which sounds sounds a bit clinical um but we yeah we we want to keep people around so Sophia is really helping with that um I think we're quite a mixed bunch we're not all Christians it's not really a Christian group and we have a lot of fun um, and we do things that we want to do so uh in a few weeks for Halloween we're having a twilight screening um, <gasps> yeah <laughs> I'm so Gosh. excited I'm like, reasonably excited for this all the films uh I think just the first one because okay. we can only hire the space for the first one but um I was I was looking on Amazon um for a life-sized cut out of Robert Pattinson <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie I might actually use some of our funding to get that um <laughs> but yeah we just we have a lot of fun we laugh a lot together we did an origami session the other day which was just hilarious and goofy and um reminded me why I don't craft very often <laughs> but yeah it's really nice it's um it's very supportive which we love oh you you covered this a little bit but are there are any other best bits of you know working with the females within the network and it's not it's not just females is that right it's yeah all um, genders yeah yeah it is um we do have open events where we let the men come and see what we're doing sometimes um yeah. but yeah we're very inclusive so that's that's all good um but really I think the best bit for me is seeing these women grow in confidence um, just across their time at uni. So, you know, I'll, I'll meet them in their first year when they're just brand new and they're a bit concerned and they don't really know what they're doing and da da da. And then I get to have them all the way through to their fourth year because in Scotland we do four years of study for, for undergrad. Um, and by fourth year, they're coming to me and writing these incredible dissertations and pieces of work that are just so inspiring and so forward thinking I'm like this is incredible like every single one of them um and I think at PhD level as well so I've got my first batch of PhD students and they bring me so many insights and they teach me new things all the time (laughs) and they push my thinking and really challenge it um and I just really like learning from them and the way they think that they do things and I think that's really yeah it's, it's so cool I think, oh, what would be the last thing I would say? I think just watching how they help one another. Um, that's what we wanted to kind of model for them. Um, I try to set that example with my own colleagues, my own friends. Um, I'm sure Karen O'Donnell, previous guest, uh, fabulous trauma theologian, good friend of mine, wouldn't mind if I tell you this story, but um, we met at a conference and we realised that we were working in really similar areas. And what really um, made me so happy about meeting Karen was she looked at that and she didn't go, oh, we're going to be, you know, up against each other writing the same things. She was like, come on, let's do something together. Mm. And I just think that's the best way to work. Um, And honestly, that's um, been so amazing for us both. And so I think just being able to kind of show my students that that's possible you don't have to be competitive you can work together and it's about women helping women 
right? Build each other up. Let's not be tearing each other down. So I'm, I'm seeing a shift and I'm seeing that happen more, which is really nice. That is excellent. That is yeah. definitely what we need. Definitely yeah. more of that. Um, what makes you uniquely feminist in your approach to your work and theology generally? It's a really good question. And I, I struggled with this one too, because I feel like um, feminist theology is not what I really set out to do in the beginning. Um, I think I've always thought of myself as a feminist, but I feel like in the first few years that I was looking at it, I thought this is kind of the rent I have to pay to be a woman in academia um, because no one else is doing it. So, you know, who's going to teach on feminist theology? Me. Mm-hmm. Um, who's going to do the work on it? I guess I will. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay. Like that's an okay way to come into doing that work. And it's been really, really um, good to do it. Um, I think when I was younger, I just assumed I was a feminist. Like I was a good feminist. I just sort of thought, yeah, like I believe in equality. Absolutely. I'm a great, you know, this is great. Um, I was pretty active in feminist groups and communities in Scotland. And I was like, yeah, I know all about what feminism is. It's just women getting equality and that's it. Um, And ever since, I suppose I started um, with reading uh, Katie Cannon's work. So she's a womanist theologian, woman of colour. And I started to read more and more womanist theology and I started to realise actually what I thought was feminism was pretty white and pretty kind of centred on my own experience. Um, And that was a really good wake up call. So the sort of stuff uh, that womanists are doing is not centred on gender um, alone. It's got all these different intersections, right? So race, um, disability, gender identity, class, things like that. So, mm, yeah, I think in these kind of academic circles, in these activist movements that I'd maybe been part of, people of colour were being really pushed out. And I either hadn't realised or I hadn't seen it well enough um, myself. So I read this uh, quote by Audre Lorde, which was, um, I think it's, I am not free while any other any other woman is unfree, even if her um, shackles are different from my own. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh, it all makes sense now. That makes sense so much. So, yeah, I, I don't like to talk about progress unless everybody's progressing, right? I think that's really important. Um, I have to say, Selena Stone's episode on this was really, really good. So <laughs> I feel like you want to hear it from her because Selena's brilliant. Um but it kind of really stuck with me this idea of what's the point in having any platform teaching or researching if I can't bring other women with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, I think, really important to everything that I do, whether I'm in my work or not in my work. That's kind of what I'm striving to do. And um, the other thing that I'm realizing more and more is how important feminism is for men, um, especially being married to one of them <laughs> and thinking just that feminism has such a an important plan for men as well right so I come from the west coast of Scotland it's one of the highest male suicide rates in Europe it's it's through the roof it's because of um, a kind of toxic masculinity right so men don't cry men don't show their emotions just stuff it down don't do anything with it and I feel like feminism says no actually that's you know there's a place for you there's a plan for you and there's 
more that you can you know have and you're allowed to speak about your feelings and you're allowed to be sad sometimes and that's okay right so as it's kind of tackling toxic masculinity and things that are really unsafe for women it's also creating spaces for people um all people really or it should be it should be does it always I don't think so but it should be (laughs) (laughs) yeah I wonder if um there's any examples of I'm not yeah not asking for like specific names and stuff but ways in which you've been able to do that in your sort of work more and more and in the role that you've got within the university yeah it's it's pretty difficult um I would say that being present as a woman is quite powerful um so like when I first was doing theology uh I was never taught by any woman at all because there just weren't women in the department um where I was where I was studying so I think just on the days that I feel really grim about it I just remind myself that showing up and just Mm. being there is quite quite a good start um it's difficult with I think if you go in and you're going to talk to a class and you say to them we're going to talk about feminism today I always do a disclaimer and I always say to them listen you might think feminism's not for you but actually here are some ways that I think it might be for you and there's all, they're always surprised. Students are always surprised. But what I will say is it's getting easier because um, I think in the last few years, I've seen a real change in our students. And they've gone from being like, oh, right, okay, convince me, right? Feminism, oh, I don't know about that. And now they'll come in and they'll say, Dr. Cross, feminism is intersectional, blah, blah. And they've read everything <laughs> before I even get to them. Or they've learned it on TikTok, which... Let's be real. A lot of us learn things on TikTok every day, yeah. don't we? Myself included. Um, but they're exposed to so many ideas about inclusion that actually by the time I say to them, like, oh, feminism might be for you. It used to be a real like gasp moment. And you'd hear the men in the class go, oh, I don't know. And now they're all just nodding at you and going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's not something that I've done myself. I think it's just that students are a wee bit more clued up than they used to be in that respect that must be a kind of pinch me moment when when they already yeah. know like <laughs> oh honestly it was um it was wonderful I, I had a um class last term that I did on gender and sexuality um and I had a student just put up their hand in the first lecture and say are you just doing one week on trans theology um and I was like yeah only because we don't have time to cover everything in loads of detail and she was like well I suppose it's a good start and that was such a good call out, honestly. And I just thought, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because sometimes we silo these issues into like one class or just a couple of classes. And um, yeah, that really challenged me to think about how I could broaden that out. But yeah, they're they're on it and they're watching you and they, uh, they will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> if you've missed something, they will tell you. Absolutely. It's, um, it's not quite the same, but I find that of, got two girls and sometimes you know completely not even thinking about it I'll talk about like a policeman um mm. my elders will always go police officer um and I'm like yeah no you're right like I shouldn't default to that and you know thank you for challenging me <laughs> like that's right um, yeah and it's just and I love that actually the generation that she's growing up in will never have known 
that mm. a police man was the default. Actually, it's police officer, and that's what we say. It's a stupid example, but um, yeah, no, I, that's a that's a great example. I like that. Feel free to use it in one of your lectures. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm always looking for things to use in my lectures, and uh, one of the things is I, I often use snippets of conversation or things people have said to me, things my dad has said um, are favourite. Uh, yeah, all, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> What are you working on at the moment in your in terms of your research? That's a great question, Vicky. Um, I can't wait to hear the answer. By the way, there are, there are a few things I'm working on um, because as a as an academic, you've got to be working on a few things. Um, you've got to have your a few plates spinning at once. So I suppose um, last few years I've done a lot of uh, trauma research. Like initially, my research was on kind of disaster and trauma anyway. Um, now it's kind of a bit more feminist. Um, so I've done a lot of stuff on purity culture recently and domestic abuse. Um, some of that is continuing at the moment. A lot of it is about how church teachings have led to the oppression of women. Um, so not only that they've done that, but they've also introduced some pretty significant dangers as well when we're thinking about um, keeping women safe. So for example, purity culture basically leading to rape culture mm. in the church um, and domestic abuse being hidden or backed up by church doctrine, church teachings um, about submission, things like that. Um, so those are all kind of really important things uh, that are happening. Uh, I suppose I should say my bigger project, because um, as, as an academic, you also need like a big, a big girl project. <laughs> <laughs> the big girl project at the moment um is about church leaving and I just finished doing um, a kind of pilot study on that um and in the next few weeks I'm moving on to surveys interviews talking to people about their experience um there's been a lot of chat on deconstruction I think uh around in the last few years which is great and I think it will come up um in what I'm looking at but I'm kind of more interested in people who just don't go to church anymore but say that they're a Christian still Right. So what happens? Um, so full disclosure, I am one of those people. <laughs> I still call myself a Christian, but I'm not um, church attending at the moment. And part of that is I live in a really conservative, uh, sort of religiously conservative part of Scotland um, in Aberdeen. It was also a feminist related incident that was the last straw um, in my previous church. So it was somebody talking about how uh, women shouldn't be allowed to teach or stand up in the church. Now, I've spent my life in the Church of Scotland. We've been ordaining women for a fair amount of time. Not long enough, but a fair amount of time. So it's just really jarring. Um, and I left. I physically left that space and just said, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. Um, I think there were a lot of incidents like that. Um, not necessarily all about gender, but just about kind of feeling like it wasn't fitting or things weren't really working. Um, and since then, I feel like there's a good amount of space to just, you know, figure out what my own faith looks like. I, I like the silence of a Sunday. I like little sacred spaces. One of them will be making coffee on a Sunday morning, going for walks with the dog, things like that. Um, I do keep kind of links uh, with the Iona community in Scotland um, and also occasionally go to our chapel for worship. But apart from that, not in church at the minute. Um, so what I'm interested in is in the research is just what do people do 
when they're not at church like what, what are people doing if you're still a Christian but you're not in church um are you joining up with other groups are you starting house churches are you praying or not praying um so in the pilot study I had one woman who said she would go wild swimming which mm. is just peak Scottish women activity honestly <laughs> honestly and, and I, I tease her for it but I got really into it this summer so I totally understand like it's mm. it's amazing it's a great thing to do um I think what I'm looking for is to try and put more of a theological story around that experience I think a lot of the theology that has um come out about church leavers and there isn't a lot of it is very missional and mm. that's never been me it's not my tradition um, so I'm not going to try and force people back into church, um, especially because I imagine there's going to be a lot of traumatic reasons that people have left. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I have some of my own. I, I'll probably share them at some point. Um, but I think it's just maybe not um, a good idea to force everyone to come back. Um, so that's that's the plan. I know community is really important. I just said community was really important for women. But I know that church spaces are not always the community we want them to be. So, um, yeah. And I, and I would imagine there's probably a common thread of the theology that forms without church. I mean, mm. obviously, we don't, I don't know, but I'm just thinking, we're not being in church, you will still, ha- you will still have a f- theology forming mm. of God. You will still be able to find God in different things and different ways. And, and maybe oh, yeah. there's a common theme in that or crossover with people that would be really interesting to know yeah it's not like god just goes away from you if you stop going to church we know that's nonsense so maybe he can show things in a different way or you know absolutely i'm actually glad i'm glad you said that vicky because the other thing i can tell you about this so it's it's a new study like it's right at the beginning i won't claim i've found too many things yet um but one of the things that i found i was speaking to some people who've left church Um, is about the idea of wilderness Mm -hmm. and so it was actually um, when you do research with people and you interview them usually you have to do a bit of work to take their words and kind of build a bit of theology around that or extract from that um, however you want to do it this group that I spoke to just handed it to me on a plate (laughs) (laughs) it's like wow they're all really really um, helpful and great people and they wanted to talk about wilderness because usually when we hear the word wilderness, you kind of imagine being off on your own in solitude. You might imagine abandonment or being removed um, from your community, things like that. Um, but actually in the Christian tradition, wilderness is not always about abandonment, right? Mm. Um, it can be about marking stages of faith or new encounters or um meeting with God as well right so the obvious um kind of example of that is Jesus being led by the spirit into the wilderness um you know God God allows that to happen John the Baptist he's a real fave of mine he just sounds completely unhinged and I absolutely <laughs> love that energy it's very like 2023 energy isn't it <laughs> Going off into the desert and eating locusts. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Or like raging that the honey costs so much more money in Aldi than it used to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. Um, but yeah, John the Baptist does his ministry in the wilderness. Um, you know, there's some interesting uh, work around desert fathers and mothers kind of isolating themselves on purpose to do theology and be close to God. So we had this whole conversation 
And I think it's going to be a really good one about actually maybe there's space in that um, removal from community to kind of talk more about, you know, your own relationship with God and where you see your faith going and deconstruct if you need to, you know? I've, I'm in a similar space in that I've come out of church and haven't gone back in. Um, Mm. And I have really noticed the amount of people that you you connect with and they're in the same space. So not just in sort of through academia and through my MA and stuff, but just generally in my life, I'm like, oh, okay. They drop into a conversation that like they used to be a part of this church or like you suddenly realise that you've got shared values and shared experiences, um, which are really important. And no one's given up on those values of community and, you know, sharing of lives and, and that kind of stuff. But all the stuff that church adds on to that is often the stuff mm-hmm. that's caused issues or hurt or pain and that people have walked away from, but they've not actually walked away from the core values of their faith. Um, no. Yeah. Ranting now. Apologies. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good to hear because some, there's some days when I'm researching and I'm kind of locked away on my own in the office thinking, I don't know if anybody's actually having this experience or if it's just me, <laughs> not really sure. Um, but this is why it's so important for people to tell their stories. And I think we are in a place now where um, I'm just frustrated because I'm like a lot of theologians just talk about the church like it's this never ending, completely, you know, untouchable thing. Mm. Um, but we're coming to a stage now where the church is facing a lot of reckoning and also um, numbers in attendance are going down. And if we can't talk about that, then we're not doing good work, yeah. right? So we need to talk about it. Um, so that that's me banging the drum for talking about church leafers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. And are there ways that our listeners can get involved? If you you know, are you looking for participants or? Yes, I absolutely am. Um, if you're interested, I would love to hear from you. Oh. Um, I think I can't remember if I gave you my email address, but yeah, we can, can we can link the um on our show notes we can put a link to the ways in which oh, people amazing. can get hold of you so yeah yeah so you can um yeah you can email me drop me an email if you're interested um i will be putting the survey on twitter and on blue sky nice. because i've become a little blue sky yeah. person these days you're very very current <laughs> oh yeah down with the kids have to be i don't want to get left behind um i think What I would say about this is it's for anybody who's ever left the church at any point. So there's no demographic requirements. It's not just for women. Um, It's not just um, for like certain kinds of people. It's just if you've ever left the church at any point um, and you want to talk about that experience. And I promise the survey will not be long. It's not (laughs) going to take you a long time to fill out. And then at the end of that, there's going to be a little prompt to say, hey, would you like to talk more about this? if you would, we can do it over Zoom. Um, wherever you are, we can have a chat. So it would just be very, um, it's going to be very laid back. And I think also just to say that, like, as somebody running the research, it's my experience too. Yeah. Um, so I'm coming into knowing a little bit of what might come up, but I'm really ready to hear what other people mm. think as well. Yeah, I'm excited yeah great well we we will link all of that stuff um on the show notes so people can get involved love that and finally although i don't want this to end um (laughs) what one line of encouragement would you give to christian women today one line 
that's tricky. Um, I think, I think again, going back to the sort of stuff that I've read in the last few years, that has been really um, significant in kind of shaping my own theology. And I just think about womanism. Um, so I'm not a womanist. Um, I'm a white feminist, although trying to be less of a white feminist, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I suppose one of the things that I really worry about womanism um, is this commitment to just radical self-love and to saying, actually, there's nothing wrong with me. It is the system. It's kind of similar to what I was saying about imposter syndrome. Like it's not just individuals, it's the system that's um, the problem. So I think I would just say there's a space for you just as you are um, and that being true to yourself is a really radical act, right? So not trying to be someone you're not. Um, I, I would really hope that if I ever become the sort of academic who's just a bit too up themselves that someone would tell me because I wouldn't want that to be the case I just want to be myself um and I think that's really all there is to it I mean I say that like it's really easy it's absolutely not but (laughs) (laughs) but we all know that the the most authentic people that we know are some of our favorite people right right absolutely absolutely yeah that's very true. true Yeah. yeah. Oh, Katie, yeah. thank you so much for joining. I feel like we need to do a part two with you because it's just been so insightful and it's, yeah, it's just been fantastic to hear from you. So thank you so much for joining us today and uh, we'll thank be back in touch me. for that part two at some point. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Thank you. Welcome back, Recovering God listeners. I have been joined by Vicky again and by Amy. Amy, it's great to have you with us. Um, Amy, I just wondered if you wanted Hiya. to dive straight in and let us know your reflections after our interview with Katie Cross. Yeah, no, I, I loved the interview. I listened to it a, a, a while ago. And, um, you know, what I was thinking is, is obviously she's a serious feminist theologian and you know and and an academic but I just loved the way it was really relational and conversational and I think that's so important like some of us you know on this uh, co-hosts have obviously studied theology and uh, in the past or still doing it now and you know we can obviously talk about doctrine and you know you know very serious subjects in theology but I think the important thing well something that's important to me is actually just being really conversational about it and not making it really heavy and I just liked the way that that was that's how she came across um really relatable so yeah I I really enjoyed that actually it wasn't yeah so that's one thing I would say about you know how the interview was I really enjoyed it um but obviously one of the highlights was obviously talking about um imposter syndrome now, you know, we're all women and, you know, we've I, we've all been in the church for a long time, most of our lives. And that imposter syndrome is very real. And even more so when you're studying theology and um, maybe potentially end up in conversations or dialogue with certain people in the church, shall we say, often men. Um, and yeah, there, there is that feeling of positive syndrome because some people talk very confidently, but sometimes don't know a lot where actually 
sometimes when you know stuff, you just feel like you don't know anything. Um, and so I think, yeah, that was one thing that really stuck out to me was uh, on the podcast was about the yeah, the conversation about imposter syndrome. So I don't know if it, what you thought, Vicky, about that. Um, yeah, it's a big subject for for us as women, isn't it? Um, but especially I think Christian women because we have this whole heap of stuff in the background about two Timothy and all of that. Um, so that, that just adds, and it's always kind of in your mind a little bit when you're doing anything. You think, you know, there's going to be some people here who really don't agree with just me as I am as a woman, let alone anything else that I'm doing in church. I was reminded of um, a time on my course, um, which is no like shade on the, the person leading the course or anything, but it was just one of my fellow students who I felt any time I said something kind of had something else to say or like something to come back on. And I got really frustrated. And in the end, I said something to the person who leads the course and it was, I don't know if it was dealt with, but it didn't happen again. So I assume that it was dealt with. Um, and initially I was like, am I being super paranoid or is this happening? And then it like it happened again. And, and I don't actually know if that male person knew that what he was doing was obvious or I don't even know that it was anything personal to me, but it, I was just really kind of taken aback by his happiness to just constantly come back. Like we were, we were all kind of equals and, um, you know, we were all learning the same stuff. We definitely weren't the ones with all of the knowledge. There was someone up the front there imparting their knowledge, but just that kind of need to prove that there was already knowledge there whereas I was like yeah no I know some of that stuff as well but I'm here to learn um and it was just that kind of yeah like I don't feel the need to prove how much I know um that sounds like really boastful because nine times out of ten I don't know anything but in these situations I was a bit like no no I'm fully aware of what that means but I'm talking about this um yeah yeah and I guess I've been aware of the more theological stuff that I've attended over the past like couple of years because of my course that generally speaking the women are like oh my gosh I'm not quite sure what I'm doing here and that thought doesn't even go through a high percentage of the men's heads and that's why I loved what Katie said about is it a systemic thing as opposed to it being like a individual oh individual thing thing. Mm. yeah and I, yeah, I totally resonated with that because I, I did think, yeah, yeah, I feel like that. But yeah, this is definitely a systemic thing. Like, I don't think this is not just me, you know. And um, because like you say, you, you know, I've always, I've been very blessed actually with the college that I was with, the university I was with when I did theology. I, you know, I had some amazing male uh, lecturers that were so humble, you know, never made you feel stupid. You know, I had male, um, you know, What's the word? Not co-workers, people that are doing it with me, studying and never had an issue with them. It wasn't until I went on social media and like <laughs> Twitter and these men were so confident. And I was just like, and it, it took me a while to, to realise, oh, no, you're just arrogant. Like, <laughs> you don't know everything. You're just arrogant, you know. But, um, yeah, but I do think it's a systemic, systematic thing uh, with women. I think that we don't want to feel silly. We don't want to feel like we're being arrogant. 
we want to be humble it seems to be a natural thing with a lot of women not to tar I'm sure there's a lot of arrogant women out there so I don't want to tar everyone every female with a positive brush but you know I just think yeah I think that we do have an issue with that and uh and, and a confidence thing um when it comes to our our work not just in theology I think in a lot of probably academic fields so yeah mm. I think that again that was just really the thing that stuck out for me yeah it was interesting when she said about how um students responded to a woman who gave a hard lecture and a man who gave a hard lecture I was like wow uh, that just never entered my head that people would respond differently um mm. yeah that was really interesting I think yeah. I appreciated what she said as well about kind of women doing things differently so she talked about the projects that she's done with Karen O'Donnell and how that was very much like no there's space for both of us even though we're working in similar areas and that's been my experience at you know a couple of conferences that I've gone to that actually the kind of attitude between women is very encouraging and very much like oh what's your research on what are you doing like there's but there's not that sense of like a need for hierarchy or a need to kind of prove yourself there's just a genuine interest um and obviously since we've done that interview with Katie Cross um the feminist theology network has been created and that's like just a really encouraging space I think so we can link that in our show notes as well for anyone that's interested in feminist theology which is being run by Karen O'Donnell who's been on the podcast before um but I don't know yeah it's just it's just really I really love being a part of something that's encouraging of others rather than seeing others as a threat yeah yeah and it's more gospel centered that there's room for all of us right the gospel isn't hierarchical like there's no competition in it and so it it, mm. it flows better when you don't get into all that yeah there's enough space for everyone there's exactly. enough space for everyone come by our we're all around the fireplace <laughs> we can all sit together what people can't see is that amy's actually got a guitar with her right now <laughs> <laughs> if you yeah. bust out a tambourine now i'm gonna go with you <laughs> Vicky, was there anything else you were left thinking about at the end of that interview? I think when we um, we was talking about the theology of people who aren't in church, I think that's really really interesting, and it would be it would be great to hear what her research finds, um, because you because you are fed theology in church, whether you know that or not, that is what's happening. But if you're whether not, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. right. It can be good or bad. You're still yes. being fed something. Yeah. Yes. So what happens when you don't have church? Like, what does your theology look like? How does it develop? Yeah, I'm really looking. F- Interesting. Really looking forward to seeing uh, where that research ends up going. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's been great to have a little chat with you both, Amy and Vicky, and uh, I'm sure we'll be back with another fascinating interview in due course. Thank you, Recovering God podcast listeners and we'll be back soon bye bye and happy new year for 2024 thank you for listening to this episode of the recovering god podcast please remember to rate subscribe and tell others who you think will be interested you can follow us on twitter and instagram at recovering god or contact us by email at recoveringgodpodcast at gmail.com